fast, efficient, and affordable business-grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates, and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting, amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today, or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us. Big ones, little ones, fiddly ones, powerful ones. The ones for the car or the truck, caravan, boat, mobility scooter, solar system. In fact, for any kind of battery, go straight to Battery Central Ipswich. They'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what'll do the job. Battery Central Ipswich, 280 Brisbane Street, West Ipswich, behind the yellow building. Expert advice, better batteries, best prices, every day. That's Battery Central Ipswich. Hello and welcome to episode 749 of the Aussie Tech Heads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Will Tompkinson. Hey Will. Hey mate. What's up, what's up? Switch. And switch is switch. up. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Software switches. Do you know what you're doing? Why start now? <laughs> I've only been doing it for like 500 episodes. I haven't, I haven't read any books, can't you tell? Like it's just... No, 749 episodes, surely. I said I've done like 500. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Feels like it. No, it's not far off it. You're not far behind me. Yeah. So, just, yeah. just a lot south or a... Just as wet? Yeah. That's... Has he been? Uh, full of water. You're full <laughs> of water, are you? My bin is full of water. Um, <laughs> we've had a lot of water here. Yeah. Ah. I mean, it's been good because we needed it and all the local dams are starting to fill up. All the like farmers' dams and stuff are all starting to fill up, which is good. Um, yep. Hasn't actually got over to the actual main dam catchments. Um, but, yeah, no, we're supposed to get another 150 mil or something in the next three or four days again, so. Oh, okay. We shall see what happens there. But, yep. um, yeah, if it's not if it's not wet, it's really, really hot and muggy, and if it's not really, really hot and muggy, it's wet. Oh. <laughs> so. Today was terrible with mugginess here. Yeah. We just stayed in our bedrooms with the AC on just to get rid of it all because it, it was you, disgusting. You can always tell when it's really humid because the aircon works really, really well. Oh. If it's not humid, it doesn't work very well? Well, it works by taking... I mean, it does refrigerate the air as well, but predominantly it actually takes the moisture out of there. Yeah. And the more moisture you take out of there, the cooler it feels. But the, the more moisture that's in the air, the more efficient the air conditioner works. Right. Uh, it's like down in Victoria, they don't work as well, but they use swampies down there. But swampies don't work as well up here because it's already you've already got a heap of moisture in the air. Yeah. So yeah. Western Australia would be the same. I remember a friend of mine was saying, it can get really, really hot in Perth, but there's no humidity, so it doesn't right. kill you. No. That's where swampies are great because they're cheap to start with. Even like full ducted house ones cost yep. nothing because it's basically just a giant fan with a water bath in it. And uh, they work by injecting moisture into the atmosphere, whereas an aircon works by taking it out. So, but a lot of air conditioners actually have a dry-only mode, um, uh, okay. and if you've got a small room that's not being heated with a TV or a computer or something, a lot of the time, just putting it on dry mode will actually cool the temperature in the room several degrees without actually uh, using the like it's like an economy mode. 
So you can use less power and sometimes, depending on your aircon and conditions, but quite often you can have the same result with using less power. I remember when I went to Bunnings to buy a portable air conditioner a few years ago and um, the guy was talking to some customers before me and they went off really confused and wouldn't take his advice when he said, if you're having it in a bedroom where there's computers and or TVs or if it's in the lounge or whatever, you don't want evaporative cooling because it's going to put a shitload of moisture in the air, rust out your computers, screw up your electronics. They're like, yeah, but the the, the uh, portable air conditioner is like 600, whereas yeah. evaporative cooler is only two. Right. So we want that. He's like, well, don't say I didn't warn you. And then I came up next. I'm like, I want the air conditioner, please, because I'm not going to screw up my electronics. Well, it's funny. Even in Queensland, it gets muggy enough, especially up north. Um, if you haven't had your computer serviced for a couple of years, just the natural dust build up in it, and you get a really stormy week like we've had now, yep. and it can get conductive enough to short your boards out. Ah. You don't even need extra help sometimes. <laughs> um, get your air compressor going. Yeah, if it's really... It, you know, people, when I was in the computer industry, um, we always recommended a service every 12 months. Yep. It was yeah, 60 bucks or 55 bucks and or something. And people like, you're just trying to get money out of me. Exactly. And then <laughs> you're like, look, here's the deal. We put a 12-month warranty on this computer normally. If you get it serviced every 12 months, we evaluate the system and we'll extend the warranty depending on what we think the condition is. And there's some computers we did that we put a four or five year warranty on them because they're continually in good condition. Yep. And then you get other ones that haven't been touched and 18 months later they come in and they go, oh, this is dead. And you're like, well, what do you want me to do about it? I told you to try. <laughs> you know? Especially... Well, I didn't want to pay $60. I'd rather buy a new computer for 800 Especially people who had them like as media centers but sitting on the lounge room floor on the carpet yeah. And every time people walk past, the fans in the front just pull the dust straight up out of the carpet and straight into the front of the computer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I've actually got mine mounted. Um, mine's mounted to a wall, so it's up four foot off yep. the ground. But it's actually mounted upside down as well, like case open, opening case down yep. with no side on the case. It's practically impossible for dust to get in there, you know. And I only, That's what you want. When I do clean it out, it's only once every... You know, I give it a quick blow out with the air compressor and almost nothing comes out of it, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the amount of time, effort and energy I've seen businesses spend on trouble, problem solving. Yeah. And it's dust. Yeah. <laughs> whether it's nuked routers, whether it's killed servers, whether it's just got into network ports and people haven't blown the ports out before they've plugged Cat5 cables in. Yeah. And it just gets in between the connections. It's amazing. Particularly much- if you like your business is in an industrial area or it's industrial equipment or mm. a big road highway going past and all the dust from that. Yeah. Any anywhere that the less carpet you have, the worse it is too. At least carpet as dust as feral as carpet can be to put a computer on. If your computer's above, it's actually quite good because the carpet eats all the dust. Yep. So it's uh you know, we used to do a lot for the unis and stuff like that, and they were all carpeted, but they used to get like steam cleaned every three months or something. So yeah, we used Big to just, we used to just put um, basically they were they weren't because Bunnings wasn't a thing then. But you can go to Bunnings now and you can buy those little kitchen assist stepladder things yep. for like three dollars. 
well, back then we had a, an equivalent sort of thing that we used to put the cases on, put them back in the corner of the desk, sit them up on one of those, and never had issues. Yeah. You know, but before that, they were continually, because um, the when they come in and do the carpet cleaning every three months, the tidal wave of water travels about half an inch in front of the head, doesn't it? So even though the <laughs> head the head stops at the computer, the yep. water travels inside the case. <laughs> and they couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. What's that burning smell? You let the smoke out of the electronics, now it won't work. All the pixies have been released. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm going to be um, busy this weekend. The two hard drives replacement for my NAS arrived today. So I'll whack those. I'll whack, take out the dead one, put in one of the new ones. Let it rebuild that. Let it copy all the stuff over that way. But take out the other one, put in one of the new ones. Let it sync across both of them. And then um, going to rebuild the um, computer in the spare room to be this other server that I really wanted it to be in the first place. So it can run Minecraft um, mod pack servers on there. And also I got um, Satisfactory and Valheim from Steam. I should have waited till the um, Black Friday sales. I, I am. <laughs> but I, I got a couple of things for that anyway because it's already on. And um, I got Dino Eggs, which I played on the Commodore 64. Oh, yeah. Really, really fun game where you got these little eggs around platforms and you have this guy teleports in and you have to go pick up the eggs and then rescue them and teleport out. But if they hatch into little baby dinosaurs running around, you have to jump over them to cage them and save them next time you teleport out. And if you wait too long, Mama Dinosaur's big foot comes down and squashes you on the screen. So you have to build a fire to stop that. And then you've got snakes and stuff, other spiders going around the place. So this guy has done... Um, Dino Eggs Rebirth, which is based on exactly the same kind of thing with a lot more storyline and stuff. And the introduction on one of the videos was done by the guy who did the original Dino Eggs back in the 80s oh, nice. on the Apple Apple II. And um, he collaborated with this new developer to put out a version for Windows and stuff on Steam. And I got uh, Spelunky, which is... Uh, game where you go down into caves underground but all of the rooms in the cave that you're exploring are procedurally generated every time you start the game okay it's like a 2d platformer kind of thing but yep. looked really cool and i had it on my wish list it was discounted for black friday so i thought why not get it why not it's the time to do it yeah well, that's it black friday sales cyber monday sales but the thing that i should have had a look first um i got a couple of those games through Humble Bundle. Yep. And I saw one or two other ones that are, oh, I didn't know they were on Humble Bundle. I should have got them there. Because um, if people don't know, there's a guy who wanted to help out developers who didn't get uh, many purchases. So he said, what if I get like four or five developers who've made games that are doing okay, but not great, and bundle it into one package that you can pay one lot of money less money than each of those individual games are so you get discounted pack of games some of it goes to charity a percentage of the purchase 
And then um, the rest goes to the developers and the developers ended up making a lot more money that way because people would go to the Humble Bundle website and they're like, oh, here's some really cool stuff or there's a special on or freebies or whatever is happening. And they have a, a thing where they'll launch with like 10 games in the bundle and if you pay more than X amount of dollars, they'll throw in a couple more and pay a bit more and you'll throw in a few more games. Yeah, that's what I'm on. I think I'm on $12 a month. gives me... No, $10 a month gives me 12 games. Yep. And sometimes they're fantastic games. And they have book sales on there and all sorts of stuff. Teach you how to use Python and Java and C and all of that. They'll do a bundle of those every now and then and so, all sorts of things. It's not just games. They do this sort of thing too. Pay what you want. So, for example, this is the Leisure Suit Larry pack got all six laser suit larrys in it oh, it's actually got 12 games in total total value is 99 us but it's a pay what you want so you can literally go in there and go oh i think it's you know i'm only going to play it you know three times yep. so you know i'm only going to pay a dollar 33 so yep. you click on dollar 33 and they go oh, okay well you can still have some of the games we're only going to give you the one first one two and three mm. you know so you click on you know that and then, but for the sake of thirteen dollars, you get everything. Then you can yeah. pay more if you want, but paying more doesn't get you any more. But what it does is it supports charities and and things like that. Developers, yep. And developers, <coughs> it's a brilliant idea. I've been using them for years. Um, the and I logged onto my account to buy these games recently. I was like, hang on, I didn't know I bought Tropico. Hang on, I didn't know I bought the. Oh, look at all these games that are even mobile games. I'm like, oh, there's like Sonic uh, games pack for mobile Android and stuff like this. I was like, yeah. I'd forgotten I bought all of these things. Yeah, and now they integrate with Steam. So almost everything you get um, integrates with Steam. And Honey by the look of that. Yeah, and Honey too. <laughs> Probably not so much with their Black Friday sales, but no. um, but yeah, like I know the last slot had... Um, Kerbal Space Program and uh, Drift 2, I think, and they're both $99 games. Yep. So I got 12 games, and two of them are $99 games. <laughs> I don't know what the other ones were, you know. But, <laughs> That's worth over 12 bucks. You know, like, these are, you can get Fallout if you want to play the new Fallout stuff, or. Yeah, it's um, got all the latest stuff as well. Wolfenstein packs. Seven and... Days to Die. Well, if you haven't got seven days to die, I don't really like playing $45 for it, but it's definitely worth $8. Hmm. You know? Especially if you're not <laughs> sure if you... And the thing is, it's perfectly legit. Like, it's not like they're dodgy or crack codes or anything. Like, they're, they're perfectly legit codes. The developers don't, put them there and yeah. contact this guy, say, can you put our stuff there? Because it gets them views and purchases and stuff where $8 is still a lot better than zero. Yeah. Like Grand Theft Auto Five Premium Edition, twenty bucks. I paid for Grand Theft Auto, hundred and twenty dollars or something. Yep. You know, three or four years ago. But um, it's your dying light. There's another one. Even on well, yeah. So even on sale, it's fifty eight percent off, and it's still at sixty six bucks. I got that in one of my humble packs. <laughs> Um, but yeah and that's the thing Like it's fully integrated with Steam so if you've really got the game on Steam yep. you can actually gift it to somebody else yeah um, or if you haven't you'd buy it there and it says reveal my Steam key and then you just um, yeah. purchase uh, add that on in Steam yep and that's what I mean you just you, instead of yeah or well, you can gift it if, if 
you know, you've got it and somebody else doesn't. I've done it a couple of times. I've had a cheaper... I've already had it and it's come up and I've known somebody's been talking about wanting a game. So I just say, hey, do you Yeah, want- I think you've sent me a couple. Mm. You're yes. like, I already bought this one. Now it's come up in Humble Bundle. You might as well have it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... This is which I was just trying to figure out which doom this was. This is the uh, the re the first remake, I think. Ah. But ten bucks. See I bought this for yeah, forty, fifty bucks or something. Yep. So yeah, it this is part of the reason I sent you that list of games I've got, I think what was in there, eleven hundred or something? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this is part of the reason I've got eleven hundred games. <laughs> it's uh you know, you get and for the price of a Netflix subscription, it's yeah. worth it. Well, you get twelve a month, and I always activate them. But I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> not, like, when are you going to have time? I think I've went through my Steam list, and I think I've installed thirty games. Yeah. In total, and I think I currently have about eleven installed. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just and but most of those Bub plays more than I do. Well, know, he's cheering, isn't there's he? There's the Worms ones, there's Winnie the Pooh, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of games and, yeah, that he actually plays more than I do, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But. Uh, so that'll get, keep me busy doing that because the, um, the server software I use called AMP from Cube Coders and um, it lets you run servers of all different types. You can do a seven days to die server, Satisfactory server, Valheim server, Minecraft servers, and they all run from one interface. It was like $20 or something for the web application, which runs on uh, Windows or Linux. I use Linux, of course, but um, you can run it on your Windows and just manage it all through web interface. It's very easy to do. And it's actually not too bad, even if you only want to run a server part-time, like Yep. Or weekends, you want some friend, you know, hook up with some friends and play. You just fire it up. Doesn't take up that much system resource. You can run it on your Windows system. Yeah. You know. So, but it's good if you want a full time server too, because being it can be unmanaged. Obviously, being Linux. Yeah. And um, you know, you just let it sit there and do its thing, and you just got to do your magic with your IPs and stuff to get people to be able For to see your ports. Your, yeah, yep. all that stuff, which is the part I, I always get wrong. It takes, me, it takes me longer to figure out how to reconfigure my ports <laughs> than it does to set the whole freaking thing up. <laughs> or or uh, get a VPS from Network Presence or something and just stick it, stick it all on there and then everyone can access it from anywhere. Well, I was wondering if one of the free... No, no, no. You see, Amazon. memory is the thing, though. Yeah. As we know, like the Minecraft pack we are paying, well, one before we're on now, it needed like... The, the local client side needed like 16 gig of RAM or something to play properly, mm. which means the server needs, you know, it, it, I think it recommended 64 gig of RAM for the server. Yeah. You know, so the only problem with playing with it on a VP, on a VP, on one of those, you know, whether it's Amazon or whether it's whatever, you, you're paying a stupid amount of money because they seem to charge by RAM. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why they RAM and calls. <laughs> Yeah. Cause won't help you too much, but RAM will. RAM will, and yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Or go to Creeperhost and just use their built-in stuff if you're not that good with Linux and Windows and stuff. We use them for a while; they are really good. Except for I just don't want to pay anybody since I could do it all myself. <laughs> I have a. There's actually, I don't know if I can find it while I'm talking, 
there's actually a free um, uh, Minecraft server. Uh, if you don't mind playing just basic vanilla um, Minecraft, yep. there's actually a guy who mine hut, and basically the server is only there when you log in. So you have you actually actively log into the server um, or to the to the mine hut server backend. You start yep. it, and then you log in and yeah, you know, friends log in and you play. It's a fairly decent um, spec system, actually. Set up and in then, seconds, 20 gigs of storage, low ping, free backups, no credit card required, no annoying queues, over 6 million servers created. Yeah. And then as soon as you stop playing, as soon as all, within an hour of everybody logging off, it shuts the server down. Yeah. And then it when doesn't you, delete your stuff. It's no, just not running and it, using resources. Yeah, it just shuts it down. So it means that obviously only a certain person can log in to start it back up. So obviously you've got to have an admin there who can do it all the time. But if it's only for a weekend and with a couple of mates, it's it's a great way of doing it because you, you don't can have up to ten players. You get a gig of RAM, as many plugins as you want. Yeah, so your gig of RAM you can't do a lot with. It's a, for vanilla, it'd be fine. For much else, you'd be in trouble. Yeah. Um, but it's a really interesting idea. I mean, obviously he does have plans you can pay for as well. Yeah. Um. Up but, to 10 gig of RAM for the unlimited one. Mm. So, And a maximum of 500 players. So if you've got 500 friends, <laughs> you're doing better than me. <laughs> I don't even have that many friends on my Facebook account. <laughs> and I don't even know most of those people. <laughs> uh, shall we do some news? Uh, I suppose we can do that. Niantic Incorporated, developer of the world's first and only planet-scale AR platform, announced today that KOTU has made a $300 million investment in the company at a valuation of $9 billion. Niantic will use the funds to invest in current games and new apps, expanding the the Lightship developer platform and build out its vision for real-world metaverse. We're building a future where the real world is overlaid with digital creations, entertainment and information, making it more magical, fun and informative, said John Hank, Niantic's founder and CEO. This will take a significant investment of talent, technology and imagination, and we're thrilled that KOTU is with us on this journey. Niantic is building a platform for AR based on a 3D map of the world that we believe will play a critical role in the next transition in computing. We are excited to partner with Niantic because we see this infrastructure supporting a metaverse for the real world and helping to power the next evolution of the internet, said Matt Mazzeo, a general partner at Co2. Earlier this month, Niantic launched the Lightship platform, enabling developers to access the world to realize their visions for augmented reality and real world metaverse. The Lightship platform is the foundation for Niantic's own products, built on years of experience developing and running titles such as Ingress Prime and Pokemon Go. Our launch partners included Coachella, Historic Royal Palaces, Lee Fool at the PGA of America, Science Museum Group, Shuisha, SoftBank, The Artist JR and Superblue, Trip, Universal Pictures, and Warner Music Group. Niantic also announced Niantic Ventures, a $20 million fund to help identify and fund AR leaders of tomorrow. Hmm. If anyone's going to do a good metaverse, it'll be them. (laughs) Yeah, well, they've got plenty of experience with it. Well, this is my question, though. Whose metaverse are we talking about? Because we've got 
Facebook's version of Metaverse. We've got um, Bernard Lee versions of Metaverse. We've got these guys' versions of Metaverse. We've got Metaverse's versions of Metaverse. So, <laughs> And there was another one I saw recently um, that has virtual real estate and someone just paid $2.6 million in crypto to buy a block of virtual real estate on a server. It wasn't that second life 10, 15 years ago, though? I mean, <laughs> if crypto had have been around five then. years earlier than it was, it w- Second Life would have been like literally the perfect platform for it. Yep, yep. So, what, are we just repeating 10-year-old, well, what, Second Life? It's got to be, what, 20-year-old now? Yeah. <laughs> and there was another one I saw still called Earth, as Earth 2, as I think. <laughs> it still runs just as bad now as it did back then. Yep, I used to be a DJ in clubs, playing music for people to dance around two in Second Life. I used to spend hours and hours and hours wandering around trying to figure out how to play the game. <laughs> like literally, I would I spent weeks, hundreds of hours, yeah, not figuring out what I was doing. No, <laughs> I also had hosted Slingo games, which is like bingo in Second Life. And uh, they, they give you a regular slot, so you have to be there for all of those. And then people can tip you money and you can give prizes and stuff. And um, uh, I built a few in-game stuff. I made a – it's got scripting and stuff with Lua, and you create objects and things with um, primitive 3D objects. So um, I had a, a light switch that was on the wall that you click, and it turned the light on over there. And I made a fan – that you could spin um, every time you clicked it, the fan would go a bit faster and then back to off again. And then I did the uh, Flintstones car. <laughs> so you could sit in there and it had a driving script and it had great big rollers that you drive around and you could drive the Flintstone car around Second Life. Here I am walking around for days at a time between places because I couldn't find anything that was going on. Yeah. <laughs> and then somebody had... Something had happened. I don't know what. I don't know. I can't remember. All I remember is I've never played it since. <laughs> the funniest thing is um, there was a guy who uh, had a who started with Second Life in beta, so he was one of the first players, and he was well known through there and talked to the developers and the company that made Second Life and everything. And um, he created a. Um, a group on what was egroups.com back in the day for the VZ200 emulator, which he's never had a VZ emulator or a VZ or anything to do with any of them, but he saw there was a need for it, so he just created it. We all joined it after finding it, and then uh, he eventually gave it to me to run because he's like, I don't know any of this VZ stuff, and you guys were all doing your... technical talk and making games and applications and hardware and stuff. So you might as well manage it. So he switched it over to me and then it became Yahoo groups after they bought eGroups and now they've shut down. So we just do everything on Facebook. Yeah, it's, it's it was definitely weird times. I remember seeing on the news someone purchased a Riverside house on Second Life for, you know, $11 million and you're like, what? <laughs> I you might as well buy your own Second Life server. They sell servers. You could have your own server with all your own friends and nobody else is allowed and stuff. Yeah, might as well do that. I don't think too many people do that, though. I think it, 
the whole fact that it was public was. Yeah, but I wouldn't pay eleven million dollars for a place when you could have a server and have the whole of a, like a almost a planet to yourself yeah. and friends. Yeah, I don't, that'd was, be a better spend of your money. I could never figure the game out enough to get that. I, I never had anything. I literally walked around naked and not, with <laughs> nothing. Like I couldn't figure anything out. <laughs> so. <laughs> I know I got disillusioned, but yeah, so that's what I mean. So we're, we're talking whole metaverse thing here, but whose whose envisionment of the metaverse are we actually? Neil Stevenson's. About? Well, if you ask me, that's the best version. <laughs> but <laughs> in fact, he should probably get the say over it, seen as his idea originally. It probably won't be enough advertising billboards for Amazon and stuff in his know. one. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, they uh, advertising gets pretty aggressive. It does, yeah. <laughs> you see when they did something like that on Futurama and you log in and all these pop-ups come up everywhere and avatars are chasing you around the place and you're trying to punch, no, 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 don't subscribe, <laughs> cancel. Your, screen, your face getting filled up with all these ads. Well, we've fine. discovered that we can use up to 73% of a viewer's Viewing area on their screen before they have an epileptic fit. Yeah, that was a Ready Player One. <laughs> but I think on uh, on Neil Stevenson's one on in uh, Snow Crash, um, I don't think it was far off that. To be honest, yeah, um, he had something similar in that too. Uh. Somebody would they they could actually there's two ways you could either wear the glasses or you could get them in, you could get them embedded. Um, but very most people didn't go for the embedded option because you could get firmware that literally ran ads twenty four hours, or you could get a bug <laughs> like you, um, uh, you get them hacked and that yep. that inject inject code that had run ads twenty four seven over your full viewing area and you'd go. They back, had the something mad. like that on Futurama too when Fry was having a dream and then suddenly he had uh, he was in his underpants and giving a um, lecture at the front of the office and he woke up and he's like, I just had a advertisement in my dreams. They're like, yeah, that's a normal thing. They, they have, a, have um, ships going around outside beaming advertising into your dreams at night. Give it time. Where are the lights feed underwear? Oh, dear. Um, okay, so basically... <clears throat> the world needs to crack battery recycling. So, um, this is mainly focused at uh, EVs, but it's true of most modern electronic devices. They all use you know, lithium-ion batteries to some degree. Um, ordinary, ordinary lithium-ion batteries are made up of many individual cells and weigh hundreds of kilos. The battery packs used in Nissan, Le Nissan Leafs contain 192 pouches, uh, Tesla Model S has contained 7,104 cylindrical cells all bundled into modules. <coughs> um, so as batteries start to pile up, car makers, battery companies and researchers are trying to save them from ending in landfills. Recyclers are primarily interested in extracting invaluable metals and minerals in the cells, so like your lithium, etc. Um, getting to these metals is complex and dangerous. So after removing the steel casing, the battery needs to be unbundled into the cells to avoid puncturing any hazardous materials. Electrolyte liquid, whose job is to move lithium ion between the cathode and anode, can catch fire or even explode if heated. 
Uh, once the pack has been dismantled, recyclers can safely extract the conductive lithium, nickel, copper, cobalt. Used in the cathode, cobalt is the most sought-after material used in batteries. Uh, in its raw form, rare bluish grey materials predominantly sourced from the Democratic Republic of Congo, where miners work in perilous conditions. I had to say that. I couldn't help myself. The world's major electric car manufacturers are already moving away from cobalt, deterred by the human rights abuses and shortages in supply chain. Raised the question of whether recyclers will still find it worthwhile to dismantle newer battery types, lacking the most vul- valuable ingredients. When you move to the more sustainable materials and lower cost materials, the incentive to recycle and recover then dismin- diminishes. <coughs> it's often cheaper to buy a new mobile phone than to get your old one fixed or recycled. Recycling wasn't much of an issue when EVs were still rare. There were 11 million electric cars and buses in the world's roads by the end of 2020. Um, it could be 145 by 2030. Uh, and that's not including two and three wheelers. As sales of EVs continue to surge, so will the volumes of spent batteries. Based on the million cars sold in 2017, researchers from UK factory um, Faraday Institution, a research outfit focused on battery technology, estimated some 250,000 tonnes of unprocessed battery packs will reach the end of their lives in 15 to 20 years. This equates to half a million cubic metres of spent batteries, enough to fill 200 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Although some of these batteries will retire early when cars crash or be reused in other industries and recycled later. Um, global capacity for recovering raw materials from batteries is, val- is estimated at 830,000 tonnes a year. Uh, a lot of this is China and is not available for other markets uh, as important waste batteries is banned in China. <coughs> um, but the ban can be solved by going through recyclers in South o- Southeast Asia. Europe is slowly catching up, both in terms of production and recycling. Cars manufacturers leading the charge to reclaim the valuable materials. The IEA forecast recycling could meet up to 12% of EV industry's demand for lithium, nickel and copper by 2040. Volkswagen Group is known for their really legitimate and spot-on um, figures, which include Audi, Porsche and other brands. Uh, it is recycling up to 3,600 batteries a year during a pilot phase of its new plant in Salzgitter. North Germany. Uh, mineral processes and also showing interest in entering the market. Australian Minerals Company Neometals has partnered with German company SMS Group to build battery shedding industry. Also based in Germany, fitting choice of location given the country is Europe's largest car manufacturer. So this goes on to say that basically we're going to have massive stack p- stockpiles of leaking batteries everywhere and it's going to be the end of the world. Um, <laughs> which is simply not true. Uh, and what they've forgotten... For example, um, there's a website, uh, um, the name escapes me, I'll think of it in a minute, but it's where all us hobbyists go um, to buy second-hand batteries. Yep. And currently, as has been the case for the last at least 10 years that I've been aware of that site, demand outstrips supply literally uh. all the time they are always out of stock of everything and as soon as the stock comes in it's gone <laughs> um because the problem is it's funny how they're blaming you know car manufacturers and everybody else the issue a lot of the time is the government the governments won't allow uh lithium in some countries won't allow shipping of it at all in other countries it's heavily restricted such as australia yep. how much you can send where you can send it how you can send it what sort of stuff you can send so, the issues 
of recycling could be taken care of if they resolve the issues of shipping and allow lithium batteries to be sent country to country um, because uh, as I said, you know, like um, a Nissan Leaf battery pack or a Tesla battery pack, even after 500,000 Ks where it's no longer serviceable for the vehicle those battery packs get taken out and then they'll get used for um, battery backups for off-grid systems or there's a million uses they'll get used for Uh, hobbyists will go spend the time pull the packs apart go through them physically do a charge and discharge test on every cell to get a capacity of every cell they'll keep all the you know they'll prioritize all the high um, amperage cells the low amperage cells used for smaller projects um, and then if once you get to a point where you've got a hope of low amperage cells you don't anything with you put it on Facebook or Gumtree or something and some guy three blocks away is doing exactly the same thing as you, but he's doing a different project, and these low, low amperage cells are perfect for them. Yep. So until a cell actually dies, um, its future's almost guaranteed to be, you know, not end up in in the rubbish. Once yeah. a cell once a cell dies and has failed, um, or is so close to failure that it's not practical to use it then it can be recycled and it's not that big of a deal to recycle. Yeah, it's a bit of a pain but with everything we can recycle today in the scheme of things, it's not that hard to do. Um, yeah, I was just reading um, a company in Japan called Sumitomo Metal has developed a new method to cheaply extract copper, nickel, cobalt and lithium from used EV batteries by crushing them, heating the resulting powder to specific temperatures and adjusting oxygen levels. The company has the process the first of its kind in the world. Sumitomo Metal plans to bring a recycling facility online in Japan by 2023. It'll have the capacity to process 7,000 tonnes of crushed batteries a year, enough to extract 2,200 tonnes of cobalt, sufficient for 20,000 EVs out of batteries using nickel, manganese, cobalt cathodes. Which they're not using anymore anyway. But yeah, but here's, this is the thing. It's all f- and this is the same thing that happens with copper and aluminium and steel. It's great to have recycling programs in place. Don't get me wrong. I love it and I'm a fan of it and I do it myself. I hand my 10-cent bottles in and you know, all that stuff. Yep. But the problem is, as a hobbyist now, if I want to go and buy you know, a couple of square foot of aluminium plate, I can't because that fabricator who used to have a pile of it sitting in the corner of his shed just waiting for find a use for it once a week chucks it in the back of his ute and goes and scraps it uh. once it's in a scrapyard with a couple of exceptions once it's in a scrapyard it never comes back out not as a not as a usable material yep um and so or same with copper wire you know if i want to buy you know 10 meters of cable just to do a job i don't necessarily need to buy new cable i just need something that'll do the job used to be able to go down to you know the local building site and hit up the builders and go hey guys you got a couple of meters left over here's a you know, here's a six pack and it's still cheaper than going to buy the cable new yep um but because they can recycle it now you know and get money for it that way they'll do that uh. and it drives up the cost for <laughs> hobbyists and and smaller companies who who use second hand or older technology um you know 
And so, uh, you know, the fact that it can be recycled is amazing. It's great. But there needs to be some sort of staged... I'll give you an example. All the um, the telecom towers, phone towers, all those sort of things, all have battery backup in them, as we've established. And those batteries sit there for 12 months on float charge. Maybe they've been used once or twice in the case of a blackout. And then the contractors come in and swap the batteries out with brand new ones. Yep. These are like VM Fit 120 you know, these are 10 year lifespan batteries. They've been in service for 12 months. They get taken out and they go and get scrapped. Like that, <coughs> yes, okay, whilst they're, you know, scrapping them, recycling them, the fact is that they shouldn't, like, shouldn't be allowed to scrap products that still have serviceable. Oh, yeah. Yep. Serviceable life. Like, <coughs> you could easily, you know, like, I could buy those batteries off them. Pay them a nominal, pay them scrap price for them. I'm happy to do that, and then I'll take them, test them, cop any dead ones on the chin, and sell the rest as secondhand batteries to customers who want a, a cheaper system. Yep. You know, instead of just these this perfectly good tech that has nothing wrong with it, just destroying it because we don't want it anymore. Yeah. You know. Only get rid of the really, really dead stuff. Hmm. <coughs> Yeah, once it's, once it's no longer practical or feasible to be repaired or replaced, then yeah, okay, absolutely. But until that point, hobbyists, it's, you know, it's amazing what you can find a use for a product, you know. Mm. Mm. NVIDIA Corp shares jumped 8.3% on Thursday after the chip maker earned praises from analysts for delivering estimate-beating results like clockwork. Needham Analyst said that NVIDIA could become the first trillion-dollar semiconductor company. Indeed, Thursday's move added more than $60 billion to its market capitalization, which is near the $800 billion threshold. Since early October, NVIDIA has added nearly $300 billion in market value, about the equivalent of the market cap of Walt Disney Co., Netflix Inc., or Pfizer Inc. Most of the Wall Street analysts Analysts uh, covering the stock were upbeat on the company's data center business that powers machines used by cloud computing and corporate networks. The division saw 55% revenue growth well ahead of analyst estimates. Data center was the star of the show and expected to be the biggest driver of growth in the fourth quarter as well. I mean, not really surprising when you consider they're the only ones who had any chips left. Mm. <laughs> The report is only the latest catalyst for NVIDIA's stock, which is up more than 60% off a low hit in early October. Much of the advances come on the back of growing optimism over the metaverse, a digital environment that is accessed with virtual reality tools. <clears throat> the metaverse has become an issue of particularly interest in Wall Street ever since Meta Platforms, the company formerly known as Facebook, announced it would be its new corporate focus. NVIDIA is expected to be a key beneficiary of this market, given the Omniverse software platform, which is used for creating virtual spaces, as well as heightened demand for processing chips. Needham estimated that the Omniverse could represent a $100 billion market opportunity. In the past month alone, three out of four analysts covering the stock raised price targets, and Needham, along with two other brokers, have a street high price of $400, roughly a 25% upside from its current level and giving NVIDIA a $1 trillion market valuation. 
The technology industry is already represents five of the six current members of the Trillion Dollar Club and may well be the spawning ground for the next. Yeah, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not over surprising when you're the only one who's got the chips to do the deals. Um, you know, people are going to come to you first, aren't they? So. Yep, NVIDIA's on its way up. Come on, AMD. Yeah, well, I mean, AMD's got plenty of chips, I said, as long as they keep them to themselves. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not worried about chip shortages. They don't have enough to, to share around, but they can produce as much, you know, just enough to sort of keep them rolling. So, <laughs> it's, um, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it was bound to happen eventually. Those sort of, as you said, with the onset of VR and everything's getting so graphically intense these days, even basic stuff is, you know, all graphically based. So, of course, the graphics chip makes sense that it's going to be you know, coming out on top. Yeah, they've started talking about the 4000 series of cards coming out next year as well. Yeah, I heard about that. That'll be interesting. It's supposed to be <coughs> twice as quick or something. Or half as quick again. Or, I don't know how they were, <laughs> whatever it was. They probably nerfed them and they're only half as quick. So... But speaking of chips, um, actually, both yep. my stories, <laughs> I, I just realized both my stories I have are actually about chips, but anyway. <laughs> um, Samsung uh, Electric has decided to build an advanced US chip plant in Texas. Um, it's a win for the Biden administration as it promises supply chain security and greater semiconductor capacity on American soil. South Korea's largest company has decided that the city of Taylor, roughly 30 miles from its giant manufacturing hub in Austin, uh, a person familiar with the matter, because, you know, that's a reliable source, uh, said Samsung Texas officials will announce the decision Tuesday afternoon, according to people familiar with the matter, uh, asking not... According, a person familiar with the matter said Samsung and Texas officials will announce the decision Tuesday afternoon according to people familiar with the matter. <laughs> are these the same people or is there two sets of people familiar with the matter? <laughs> These ones are really, really familiar. <laughs> uh, but Samsung is hoping to win more American clients and narrow the gap. With Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, its decision which came months after de facto... Uh, leader J.Y. Lee, Coyote maybe, was released from prison on parole. Uh, follows <laughs> Hang on a minute. Let me just reread that. Samsung is hoping to win more American clients and narrow the gap with Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Co. Its decision, which came months after de facto leader J.Y. Lee was released from prison on parole, follows plans by TMSC and Intel Corp to spend billions on cutting its facilities globally. <coughs> so you wait till your company's leader gets out of prison, then you listen to them? Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the new plant uh, will invest about $17 billion into the economy, hold about 3,000 employees, fabricate some of the country's most sophisticated chips. Nice. Samsung is planning to invest another $17 billion and create about 1,800 jobs over the first 10 years, according to documents. So that's interesting. They've kind of done it. It's about the band of electronics. They went, hey, let's make somewhere that makes electronics. 
spot. You know, they get me. Yep. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I got the frog in my throat too. <laughs> What's yeah, going on? That's that time of night, I think. Contagious. Web hosting company GoDaddy said email addresses of up to 1.2 million active and inactive managed WordPress customers have been exposed in unauthorized third-party access. The company said the incident was discovered on September 6th and the third-party accessed the system using compromised password. We identified suspicious activity in our managed WordPress hosting environment and immediately began an investigation with the help of IT forensics team and contacted law enforcement. Chief Information Security Officer Demetrius Com said in a filing. The company, whose shares fell about 1.6% in early trading, said it immediately blocked the unauthorized third party and an investigation <clears throat> is still ongoing. Didn't you get the 47 emails to say to upgrade your WordPress? I oh, just delete them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, okay, GoDaddy might have been affiliated with this, but WordPress hacks, like, it's their breaches are ridiculous. It's not specific. I mean, I'm not a fan of it's GoDaddy. It's not the, uh, the WordPress <laughs> software. It's the plugins or the themes that mm. get hacked. Yeah, WordPress itself. But it's like anything. It's like saying DOS is perfectly secure. <laughs> Since you do something with it, it's not. But it's... <laughs> I don't. I don't think uh, WordPress is a hundred percent. I'm just saying, if it's not that that no, they've usually, hacked into, they've hacked into <clears> one of the other. It's usually the plugins. It's usually any of the the site login stuff or the cart manager, anything that stores yep. details. Um, and I mean, I don't like GoDaddy. I'm not a fan of GoDaddy, GoDaddy at all. Uh, but in this particular instance, I can't specifically say it's their fault. Like it's, you know, yep. they haven't gone out of their way to make it happen. It's something that happens. Um, you know. To WordPress. Doesn't matter who you host it with, really. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, so, Ford just signed a deal to help tackle the chip shortage problem. Can make, Samsung? Can't make a Ford has signed a deal with chip maker Global Foundries to help solve the auto industry's semiconductor supply shortfalls. The Mustang maker said it signed an agreement um, to help create more semiconductors for Ford's lineup of vehicles. Earlier this month, Ford reported new vehicle sales dropped by 27% in the quarter compared to last year with production being slowed due to missing semiconductor components. Foundries, or soft contact semiconductor materials, left the auto industry short of chips after the pandemic. Change expected demand for... Um, after the pandemic, change expected demand for vehicle semiconductor contracts span years and nations reopened to the pandemic. Demand for new vehicles exceeded expectations. On top of this, chip makers found high-value chips for... Comp- computers and smartphones using new manufacturing processes, whereas the auto industry uses cheaper chips created with older production technologies for components like microcontrol units and in-vehicle displays. <coughs> it's critical that we create new ways of working with suppliers to give Ford at America greater independence on delivering technologies and features our customers will most value in the future. This agreement is just the beginning and a key part of the plan to vertically integrate key technologies and capabilities that will different, differentiate Ford. Um, Ford says it can include semiconductors for ADAS, battery management in vehicle networking and for electric vehicles. The agreement is also not just for Ford but could include collaboration Um, would see them work with motor industry in the United States in general and the only reason I find this interesting is a friend of mine went to buy um, 
every few years they get a new F truck because they tow horse floats and <laughs> um, gooseneck trailers and stuff. And the big F, like three fifty or something, um, they they buy one every uh, three years or something. Yep. And they went to get one, and they said they can't have one. <laughs> there's just none. There's none in the country, and there's none coming in. Um, and they're being told that even once, what was happening was all the all the high end top spec ones. They're slowly pulling all the chips out and everything, and then the controllers and all the stuff out of them, and putting into the low spec ones, so they could make twice as many low spec vehicles as they could high spec ones. Yep. But now they've got docks and docks and docks full of all these vehicles with no computers in them. Oh, jeez. <laughs> sitting there waiting for computers. Yeah. Um, and he's saying there's like a two and three year wait now on certain models. Wow. Um, six to twelve months on most of them, and up to three years on some of them. So, yeah. That's nuts. But uh, but basically, yeah. Once once the world started to open up again, everyone thought, "Oh, people have got cars. They're not going to need cars. Like they've got them." Yeah. And people were like, "Hey, let's buy a new car because I haven't got any money and I haven't got a job." But I think it's a good thing. That <laughs> never stopped me before. <laughs> yeah. So apparently, everybody, the first thing they did was went and bought new cars. <laughs> That's why I got the import because there was nothing available locally that suited yep. us. So we went for an import, which okay, it took six months to get here, sitting on a boat, but. Still got it. I still got it quicker. I'd still be waiting for the vehicle that I originally wanted. They haven't even. Like, that was. When I inquire about that. Uh, probably this time last year. So it's been 12 months. Mm-hmm. And then they haven't even got them. They haven't even got confirmation on whether they can get them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let alone when they are actually coming in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's nuts. That's it for me. How about you? That'll do me and my voice is done. Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Head Show. We can be found at Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Patreon, and Coffee. Email us, Will or Warlock, at aussietechheads.com.au and go to aussietechradio.com, 24-7 playback of tech-related shows. See you next time. Bye. Now the merry men know about... Is a regular fixture. You take your frying pan and some sugar and jam and get on down to make the mixture. Well, you take a dozen eggs, take a cup of milk, and don't forget to add a little flour. And then you beat it up with a wooden spoon and leave it to settle for just one hour. Cause it's pancake day, yes, it's pancake day, yes, it's pancake day. Well, it's pancake day, it's close to pancake day, yes, it's pancake day. But back in the village of workshop. Living ain't so funny. They make it, make it take a dirty old man, cause they ain't got no flipping money. Their smiles are white, cause the tears they hide, even though their life is hell. But the smiles stop the fool when the sheriff comes to call, and he brings King John as well. 